Yes, hello. It's Jason Louv. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast, and welcome to 2021. You made it. You're alive. You actually made it through 2020. Of course, there's no guarantee 2021 is going to be any better. It's certainly going to be weird. It's certainly going to be complicated. It's going to be full of all kinds of challenge that we can't uh, challenges that we can't even foresee yet. But hey, at least you made it through 2020, the year from hell. And uh, hopefully we will reascend to at least a purgatory realm, um, if not paradise. Uh, but hopefully we will not descend simply to just another circle of hell. Um, you know what the secret of hell is, by the way? Why don't I just... Shit, I was going to say something else. But you know what? You know what the secret of hell is? The secret of hell is not trying to save other people. Sounds largely counterintuitive, counterintuitive, but hear me out. Imagine a giant boiling cauldron, as if in an Eastern religious uh, tapestry or wall painting, like from a Buddhist monastery or a, or something like that. Imagine a giant boiling cauldron where demons stir people uh, in uh, molten metal or 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 lava or or just water. Uh, or, or, or spaghetti sauce, and everyone's having a real bad time. Well, if you look closely, you might see that everyone is clinging on to everyone else very, very tightly, probably because they're trying to drag that person out of hell too. Or they're just so attached to that person that they just can't bear to let them go. This is how hell works in the real world too. Imagine uh, something more visceral, something more literal. Imagine like, for instance, a meth house. Um, some of you probably don't have to imagine that. Uh, if you don't know what that's like, watch the movie Spun. Excellent movie from about 10 years ago. Uh, meth house. So house where a bunch of people are doing meth or, or heroin or whatever it is they happen to be doing. And everyone's kind of built their weird, messed up hell realm family in that house. And yeah, it's terrible. And yeah, people are dying. They might be committing crimes. They might be attacking each other. They might be doing all kinds of god-awful things. But at least they have this weird sense of camaraderie and solidarity. And if anyone ever tries to leave to, you know, get their life together, those people are going to start screeching at that person and dragging them right back in, pulling every guilt trip in the book. How dare you? How dare you leave us? What, you think you're better than us? You think you're you're above this? And Or when they really lay it on, they'll do something like, no, you need to stay here to save me. You need to get me out of this. But of course, they don't really want to leave because if they wanted to leave, they would have left that drug house. They just want company. And that's how hell works. It works like that in a dysfunctional family. It works like that in a drug house, and it works like that, as we're seeing on a planetary level. So if I was to give you one bit of advice, 
Or actually, it's not even advice. If I was just to spew some phrase into the universe, it's that if you want to leave a situation, just leave. Don't bother trying to take anybody with you that doesn't want to go. If they want to go, fine. But don't do any of this no one left behind type thing because then you're just going to get stuck. Okay, so that's just a bit of word word to the wise. Sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes the best way that you can be a role model to other people is simply to leave a bad, abusive, or destructive situation and therefore to prove that it can be done. If you stick around to drag everyone else out with you, well, you're probably not going to get out. But if you leave, then it proves it can be done, and those who are inspired by it will do that. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. You can apply it to all kinds of things in life. But I'm also speaking from my own life, as I have finally, finally escaped Los Angeles. Yes, I too am one of the great migration, uh, one of the people who have joined the great migration out of Los Angeles, out of California. I don't know if I will ever go back to California. Maybe if things go back to some semblance of normality. But honestly, between the total shutdown of the state, the rampant, uh, uh, unbelievably uh, bad uh, collapse of of uh, the you know the economy, the rampant, uh, frightening, and untreated uh, substance abuse on the street, the uh, you know the the great masses of people who have are homeless and mentally ill and are not receiving treatment or housing or any type of compassion. Uh, between that and the hellacious governor and mayor and all of this and the massive cost of living, the inability to even rent, let alone buy property, I've decided to say uh, enough, enough and, and vote with my feet. So I've left and I feel good about it. I feel really good about it. Talk about it more on Duncan Trussell's newest podcast where I am a guest. So check that out for more on that. I won't go too much into soliloquy on that. Anyways, got a great podcast ahead for you. Uh, This is actually another one from Office Hours, but this is a conversation between me and Chet Czar, very famous artist. You may know him from his work with the band Tool, and he also has done a ton of work in Hollywood. He's done, he did a bunch of the designs for the movie Dark Man, which I was obsessed with as a kid. Uh, which is really hilarious that we are now friends. Uh, Also, he did a bunch of work on the movie Rise of the Planet of the Apes and a bunch of other ones that you can find out more about, find more out, find more out about by Googling him, Chet Zar, Z-A-R. Great guy, really nice dude, great artist. Uh, And uh, I am happy to say he's been a really dedicated student and this conversation is actually about money magic and manifesting wealth using money which has been an ongoing theme on the podcast because it's topical in chet's case actually after this podcast he was very successful in doing a ton of uh financial workings that really really put him forward and i'm really happy about that Uh, but this was his initial question where we started to talk about it I do mention in this podcast an upcoming wealth course. That's actually Adapt Initiative and Fortuna Working, which is already out. It's on the site. But this was re- recorded uh, last year, or well, excuse me, 2019. It's it's not 2020 anymore. So this was recorded back in 2019. 
It's a great podcast. Hopefully there's a lot of useful info in it and you'll really like it. All right. Hang in there, everyone. I know it's rough. It might continue to be rough, but do what you can to stay free, to stay happy, to stay healthy. Look after the people around you as best you can, but always remember at the end of the day, your health and happiness or your responsibility alone. And you can choose to be a role model for other people by prioritizing yourself, right? So prioritize your own health and happiness. Don't drown with other people. Become a role model of somebody who figured things out, whatever that means for you right now in this moment, in this year, 2021. And here's to a great new year with high hopes and prayers for everyone. We'll get through it. All right. Lots of love. Talk to you soon. What's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. I want to ask you about money magic. Okay. I don't know how to approach it. It seems like I've done it before for specific amounts of money that I needed for bills or whatever. It always works, but I'm trying to get out of this crazy loop of, you know, boom or bust as an artist. You know, I thought you said I've, boomer bust for a second, like baby boomer. <laughs> Anyways, boomer go bust. ahead. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm gem. I've been gem- looking at too many memes. Okay. Yeah, me too. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm just not sure how to approach it because, you know, li- living as an artist, an independent artist is insane. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yep. It's like the other day I had, you know, $100 to my name. That's it. <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, shit, I've got to come up with thousands of dollars really fast because my property tax and I own a house. And so it's like I bust my ass and and from a just a regular business standpoint, I know how to make money. I I actually make for an artist, an independent artist. I make pretty good money, actually. Great. It's just not consistent because. Yeah, it's exactly. And so it's like, am I is this one of these things that, you know, it's cool to just kind of do large chunks a little extra boost through magic when you need it or i mean i'd really like for money to not be an issue at all so i could just focus on my work you know just keep painting and focus on my career that's what i really really want mm-hmm. and, and that's I what a lot like, of people want and it's what a lot of my students want yeah I met, and certainly what i want so yeah i'm sure but I, i'm just like uh yeah, I feel like it gets in the way of my spiritual practice and yeah. everything. You know, I've been really good and disciplined about this. But man, when you have to pull an all-nighter, forget about it. You're not meditating the next day. You're going to fall asleep. Yeah. So I, I just don't know the best way to approach it. In one hand, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should will to have all my debt paid off. But you don't want to mention debt because you don't want to mention the the negative aspect of what you want. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, yes, I do. You don't want to. You don't want to mention that. You just want to, you know, mention the positive. Or should it be yeah. a general thing for like ongoing prosperity? I'm just really not sure how to how to approach it. It's. Okay. I, I think it's because there's a lot of. I don't know. There's a lot of hangups around money, especially. With well, right. My family. And that's a, so it's, it's hard to see it clearly. <laughs> but that's important, right? Because we also have a lot of cultural hangups about money, and right. in our culture, we have a lot of weird hangups about money. Like we have the schizophrenic idea, not I'm sorry, schizophrenic is too low of a word, but we have a, we have a self-defeating idea that it's like, 
oh, if you're an artist, you should just be pure and not sully by money. Yeah. Or if, certainly, <laughs> I get so much flack just for charging for my courses. It's like, oh, my time's not my time's not valuable. Yeah, like, oh, like, what, like you've never bought an occult book, but suddenly, <laughs> if I have, you know, if I spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to do this online, I should be doing right. it for free. You know, it's like, oh, okay, like. <laughs> But then it's hilarious for magicians because it's like, but then if you don't have any money, as I have not for many years of my life, then they're like, oh, if you're such a powerful magician, why haven't you just manifested yourself money? <laughs> it's exactly. just like, I can't win. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> so, but uh, long story short, look, I mean, this is this is important, right? And, and the idea that money is not spiritual is silly. I mean, it's like the, the first two rungs of yoga are get your life in order so you're not stressed all the time. But money is fucking the prime thing of that, you know? Right. So... And we, we just have all these weird ideas about money. So so there's a lot in doing money magic. There's a lot to go through. You know, there's certainly there's techniques. There's what do you ask for? There's binding the negative side. There's getting out of your own way, which is most of it, looking at your own limiting beliefs. So let me ask this uh, for everyone here on this call. If I did a very in-depth course on money magic, where we actually went through the process of manifesting wealth, uh, how many people would be interested in that? And And I caveat this by saying, this will probably be, it would be higher paid than the normal subscription thing. But if I did do, if I did do that, uh, how many people would be interested? Me. Because this, this would be like a month long <laughs> course or something. It would be like, it wouldn't just be like a one off. It would be like a big, it would be like a process similar to the seven day supercharger, but longer. So raise your right. hand if that's in, of interest to you. It's of interest to me. That's for sure. Okay. So uh, here are my general thoughts on it. You're kind of answering your own question in that you're, if I'm hearing you right, you are already drawing a line between the result of a one-off getting money or clearing debt and a more sustainable lifestyle. Right. So I think you've already answered your question in that respect, if that makes sense. Meaning that I should be going for a more sustainable lifestyle type of ritual? Is that what you mean? Well, do you Rather, want a chunk of money or do you want to not have to worry about money? Yeah, I want to not have to worry about money. Ultimately, I keep getting, right. I keep having to go for the chunk because that it's like, I, you know, it's, I have a, a bus cycle and then the bills come in and then it's like, oh shit, I have to do have this in like a week or two. So it just seems like a crazy way to live that I just, you right. know, just the idea of having every, the money for next month's bills would be amazing to me. You know, even that would be great. So I'm just looking so, to get off the hamster wheel and, you know. So if you were to make a perceptual shift around this that you think would be more effective long-term, what would it be? What do you mean? I don't, I don't know what you, what you mean exactly. Well, you're, you're talking about a boom or bust cycle where you're thinking right. in short-term chunks where there's not enough and then you need more and then there's not enough. What would a more oh. stable way of thinking about that be? Yeah, I would, I would love to have just everything paid for easily. The money is there. More than enough is there, like extra is there. Mm -hmm. You know, having a savings for emergencies would be great. Something okay. I haven't ever had pretty much. So like a little cushion and not have to uh, scramble and stress out every month. Okay. Basically. And you'll notice there's not a specific monet, there's not a specific number attached to that. Right. Or is if there bad? was, you, well, uh, it depends. I mean, well, it's your what you're describing is a condition, but the monetary, you will notice, if you think about it, that the monetary value there is largely flexible because right. that number depends on what your overhead is. Right. So do you think right. it's important to figure out my overhead and then 
do money magic in that way and be specific about about bringing I'm bringing this much in every month or every year or something. That would be a good start, right? Right. But because if you can't measure it, then you can't manifest it. Right. But That's what true. I'm calling your attention to is that, oh my God, I'm $2,000 in debt. I need to manifest $2,000 is very different than I would like to not have to, I would like to basically stabilize my existence. Right. That's true. Yeah. So then that's, that's what I, what I call your attention to in terms of, and that's a very different approach to life. I mean, this is why yeah. people take, this is why people take day jobs, right? They make right. that calculation and they say, I'm willing to trade 40 hours of my work week in a job that I don't like in order to stabilize that. Uh, artists don't think that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> everyone, everyone I know is in this situation. Every single artist I know is in this situation. Which means that they have to think, they have to think uh, more. Right. You know, they have to be, they have to, they have to get more clever and resourceful than the average person who is simply uh, happy to take a, a white collar job. Right. Now that said in our modern world, this isn't specifically about artists, but the old adage that if you have a job, you're safe is no longer true because right. most people's jobs don't last longer yeah. than a year now at most. Yep. So uh, the idea that there's some kind of white collar security net is just simply no longer true. These are all things that there, I have a lot to say about these things enough to cover, you know, a multi-month course because people approach these it's very much a question of what are you asking for and what are you asking for is the most question, important question in magic because the techniques of getting something are clear. You know them already. If you've taken my courses, you know right. them. They're very straightforward. But the question of what do you ask for now that that's critical. Well, yeah, that that's, that's my question. That's kind of how, how I led, led with this is how do I, how do I phrase it? And I guess I, I don't know how to phrase it because I don't fully know what it is maybe it's i feel confused about it basically you know well we can talk about a very very taboo topic which is completely forbidden to speak of in america <laughs> and which uh people's faces melt if you begin to discuss it <laughs> it is uh, it is uh, uh, far beyond necronom the necronomicon <laughs> uh race any other taboo topic right extremely forbidden and I will not open the, the evil seal on the evil Pandora's box unless, if anyone tells me not to open Pandora's box, I won't. But if you would like me to, I will. Do it. Do it. Is anyone ad adverse to opening this Pandora's box? <laughs> going once, going twice. So open them up. All right. Great. <laughs> Devin's interesting. Okay. The topic is class in America. A taboo topic because there's not supposed to be class in America, right? It's forbidden. Oh no, America, you can be anything you want in America as long as you work hard enough. Hmm, is that true? No, <laughs> it is absolutely not true, right? And the key word there is work hard enough. That's the key. Some of you may remember from high school history or college history class, a writer named Alexis de Tocqueville. Does anybody remember Alexis de Tocqueville? Going back no. to becoming professorial. Alexis de Tocqueville was a, oh, before I start this, is anybody on this call not from America? I'm guessing not. Most of my students are in the U.S. Okay, let me know if you're not. So, okay, if we're all in America, then we're all in the same boat, right? So the theory of America, the propaganda line is that if you come to, as long as you make it to America and you become an American citizen, or maybe even if you're not a citizen, you can become anything you want, right? That's what we're told. Okay, now there's some truth to that, but really it's not true. 
Alexis de Tocqueville was a French observer who came to America in 1820. He was the first foreign observer to come and try and writer to travel around America and try and figure out what this country was. He, you know, this was what, uh, 31 years after the uh, outbreak of the Revolutionary War. And he, I'm sorry, the French Revolution. Okay, so anyways, the, the, the country had just started. And so he was the first one to try and get to grips with what the hell this thing was. He traveled all over what was then America. And the conclusion that he came to was this. It is, again, this is another one of these forbidden things that you're not supposed to know. He said that America, as long as it exists, will be the unhappiest country in the world. Right? <laughs> also, we're not told this. It's supposed to be the greatest country on earth. Now, why is America the, the, the unhappiest country in the world? Does anyone have any ideas? Nope. Nobody. We. Well, <laughs> okay. Yes, we are what we are. Uh, America is the unhappiest country in the world for this reason. America is the only country still in 2019. It is the only Trump. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a fleeting phenomenon. It is. There, uh, note, note not the passing of shadows on the wall of samsara. So America is in 2019 is the only country where if you're poor, it's your fault. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the that's the story. I mean, this is the you know the Paul the Paul Ryan's of the world. Well, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You don't need medical care. That'll be a nice goad to you working harder as an actuary. You know, right. oh, you're missing a kidney. Well, you know, pull those kidney, pull those bootstraps up harder. So, without getting taking political sides, this is simply this is clearly true. And every other country in the world, it's not the case. If you go to England, for instance, if you're born in the working class, you are working class. And the second you go outside, people can immediately spot where you're from and where you are in the, the fine gradations of the social pecking order based on how you're dressed, the, the fine gradations of your accent, your interest, like the people, the minute you open your mouth and talk, people will place exactly where you are on the social ladder in England. And that will not change hmm. in your lifetime. It's still like that in some places on the East Coast and in the Midwest in America as well. They're still more tied to Europe. Uh, certainly at the South. So people are tied to their class. And there is the, unfortunately, the, the real destructiveness of that is that people can't escape their class. They, they, they have ceilings on them. They can't change class. And, but the comfort in that is that they don't have the expectation that they should, right? And so, for right. instance, the working class in England have an extremely close-knit sense of solidarity and group interest and they're all in it together and they all look out for each other more or less and they have a sense of being a cohesive group and if people try to get outside of that then they'll be like oh well like you know like oh like who are you all of a sudden that type of thing people do that all over the world but the class is inescapable but there is comfort in it and there is group safety and numbers group cohesion there are there are specific social structures and and each class takes care of itself that is not true in America because in America everyone is living under the delusion that one day they will be, they too will be Donald Trump and they're rushing to stab each other in the back to get to the next thing. They don't without the sense that oh we're all working class, they have no need to look after each other because they don't don't define define themselves as a group. And this is the great tragedy of American politics and why you know again I don't want to get political, but of course this is what you know the this is what is. Uh, you know, this has dominated class, uh, or excuse me, party politics in the U.S., uh, and it's why class interests are never that we never ever ever vote class interests in America because we don't believe we have classes when we obviously do. Obviously, 
right? Somebody who grows up in Appalachia is not in the same class as a cultural creative in Los Angeles, who right. is not in the same class as an investment banker in, in New York, who is not right. in the same class as somebody uh, in the Bush family who came over here on the Mayflower, right? It's just not, you know, anyways. Now, that said, you can, you can absolutely change class in America, and you can do that in Europe, and that's profound, and that is well worth protecting, and, and that is critical. But the idea that there aren't classes is not true. So why is this important? It's important because we need to understand where we are first before we change it. Agreed? Mm -hmm. So I have, here is my definition of class. And when I say definition, I mean it's the attitude that each class has towards money. And what we're really talking about when we're talking about wealth magic is not the tactics are easy, but what we're talking about is we're not even talking about money. Money is, is, a, is just a way of keeping score. What we're talking about is our relation to the world around us. Fair enough? Right. Artists are a little bit different because they're basically like sadhus. They're kind of like renunciates. So they kind of have their own cat class, you know. And so right. I'll discuss that as well. And this is why people always say, you know, artists are the most dangerous people because they associate with all levels of society, right? I'm sure you've heard right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. So artists and magicians... Are, and mystics are in a slightly different boat in that they're like sadhus in India, they're dropouts. So here's my take on class. And my take on class has nothing to do with any political or economic analysis. It is purely to do with one's attitude towards money, right? So obviously we could talk about the, the complexities of structural construction and, and what class actually means in America and throughout history and all that. But I'm not gonna talk about any of the, the specifics. What I'm gonna talk about is the attitude towards money not why people have that attitude towards money, not the legacy of oppression or the legacy of why, why people are, you know, born into poverty, why poverty is hard to escape, et cetera, et cetera. These are all topics for social science. We're in a course on magic. So here's my take on it. TM copyright, do not share. This is a hot take. Got it. And so this would be part of the, the, this would be part of the wealth course. Cool. So lower class, what is the attitude of the lower class towards or the working class? Actually, working class is a misnomer because what's called what's called the middle class in America is now actually the working class. Robert Reich, who many of you know, who's an economist, you know, did a analysis of the the class break or the wealth breakdown in America, and it's basically it's something like some of you may have seen this. I'm not going to dig the link out, but it's something I'll just throw it, summarize it quickly. It's something like this: poor. If if we're looking at a graph. Poor in America is like this, poor, poor, poor. So if we're on an x-axis, so the x-axis would be class or social status, right? Social status. Y would be how much money you have, right? Mm. So here's, here's how it breaks down. It's like poor, this is America 2019. Poor, 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 working, poor, or excuse me, you know, homeless, 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 poor, 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 working, poor, working, poor, lower middle class, upper, you know, middle class, upper middle class, like you have a job in management, upper class, rich, wealthy, the 1%. <laughs> I'm not even like that, yeah, right? Know, it's like I what know. people think is wealth, like people are living a right. delusion. They live in like a, a magic show, you know, like no pun intended. Right. It's like what people are told is wealthy is is so inconsequential to compared to the Sam Waltons of the world. It's like, you know, there was a meme going around. It's like, you know, what, rich, you know what rich is? Rich is when you have a larger, you, rich is when you have a larger yacht to dock your yacht in. <laughs> have you seen right. that show Succession? No, I've seen ads for it. It's so good. You got to see it. But 
someone was there. It was these rich guys talking and one guy was saying, oh, it doesn't matter if this business deal that's going to make me half a billion falls through. I still have five million coming to me. And the other guy's like, oh, five million is not even worth the trouble. It's just. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's not a joke. That's like nothing. Five million for most people. Look, you like recently people were ragging on Bernie Sanders because he has a million dollars. You need a million dollars just to come to retire as a middle class individual in America. Right. Right. It's like it's nothing. And it means nothing to people, you know, like financial traders lose that in a day and they don't blink. It's like, right, right. So, you know, and people who are millionaires have an inferiority complex because they're not billionaires and people who are billionaires have an inferiority complex because they only have 1 billion. It's a very Buddhist lesson in there. So, but anyways, so class, so I say this because what people think of as middle class in America is basically the working class, right? Middle class used to mean you had a white collar job and you didn't have to do manual labor. Right now, there's very little manual labor left in the U.S., relatively speaking to what it used to be when we were a manufacturing hub. So working class, basically, if you're working, chances are you're probably working at a desk. So and America largely does intellectual, it largely sells smoke and mirrors now, meaning apps, intellectual property uh, services, you know, we're not manufacturing. So I, when I say working class, let me say the poor. All right. Now, I'm, again, and into the terminable rant. Here, that, here's to the meat and potatoes. <laughs> The attitude of the poor, the poor meaning hand to mouth, towards money is this. Money is random, right? It is, uh, it is tied to luck. It is boomer bust. It is tied to specific monetary values, uh, numbers. It fluctuates. If you ask a poor person what rich is, they'll probably say having a million dollars. But the view of money is that it is random. Now, how do we know who plays the lotto? Open question. Do middle class and well, you know, and so, you know, do rich people play the lotto? No, no, right. Uh, if you see, oftentimes, very poor people will have tat. You the you know you will see, you know, if you hang out with street people a lot, you'll see uh, an obsession with chance and mm-hmm. randomness. It's kind of a magical thing in a way. Where what I'm talking about is you see tattoos of cards, tattoos of dice, obsession with gambling, obsession with my luck has just, the, the phrase my luck has just run out, I'm down on my luck. Or, you know, I just need to get my luck back. It's interesting because it's very similar to the Asian concept of, um, of the universe and of magic. But the view of the poor of money is that it fluctuates like a roulette wheel and it is largely random. And if they're not rich, it's because they didn't have the luck to be born wealthy. Mm. Fair enough. Right. So what is that? It really, it means they don't understand how money works. Everyone with me so far? Yeah. So there you can see. So, so the next question is, so if you were to do magic, as many, many people do, if you were to, to do magic from that overall cosmology, what would you, what would happen? You'd get it randomly? Or it would work and you would get it, but then what would happen? Yeah, then it would, you wouldn't have it. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Right. And this is this is this uh, concept is true across the completely across the board for all magic. Right. It's the same way. If you do magic within a Christian viewpoint, it's going to be totally different from magic within like a Taoist viewpoint. This is what I constantly try to point people's attention to. It's not the spell, quote unquote. It's the overall worldview. That's where the results you're getting are coming from your map of reality. They're not coming from the things you do within it. You're moving, if you're moving game, you're moving game pieces, right? And focusing on the game pieces, you need to look at the game board, right? Because right? the results you're getting are from the game board and reality is infinite. You can play any game you want, right? So, right. okay. So moving on the middle, the middle class, right? Which is really the working class in America caveat, but the middle class, 
the view of them here here's the view of the middle class right the view of the middle class is that uh, hard work gets you money but it's not just that right it's basically it's if you play by the rules you are taken care of where people who are poor don't have a sense of playing by the rules they have a sense of the, the deck being stacked against right. them you know, language intended. It's like, oh, it's random. And it's like, and if I get money, it's probably like a fluke or it's, you know, it's a good luck. Right. You know, it's like, it's smart. The system has smiled upon me. That's my luck. But the view of the middle class as inculcated from birth, and, you know, we can then talk about like intergenerational poverty, right. uh, is that if you play the game correctly, you are taken care of. And what does that mean? That means getting good grades in school, choosing a sensible career, not, you know, burning out on drugs, not getting pregnant out of wedlock, maintain being, you know, having enough uh, skill and not just skill, but soft skill, social skill to maintain a day job. And when I say soft skill, that largely means knowing how to not rock the boat and make your mm -hmm. superiors pleased. And right. this is what generates the, the, the vast docility of the middle class <laughs> and why they're so... Ass. Well, it's a fucking survival skill, right? right and that's totally. why the middle class are, are endlessly manipulated by the powers that be, right? Tragically. Yeah. So this and that so and then you, you know, and then you do you kiss ass to get, you know, you work your way up, you get a little bit, you know, you start out at 20k a year, 30k, 40k by retirement, you're maybe making 60k a year. And hopefully you socked away enough into a retirement that you don't end up in a nursing home where people are not coming to your room for five days on end right as happens so or you even end up in care right so that's the middle that's the american middle class and that you have kids so that your kids will hopefully be able to take care of you in your old age this is largely what we have known as the backbone of america and it's what has driven this country now very tragically as we have witnessed in our lifetimes you don't need me to tell you this has largely gone away and these people have been betrayed and I come from this background, right? Most, many, most people on this call probably mm -hmm. do, or many of you do, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Some of you may be in, in danger of needing a new yacht to dock your yacht in, in which case, <laughs> please subscribe more and consider <laughs> donating to magic.me so that we can expand the school. And I'm sure it'll be, I'll work with you to make it a nice, nice tax write-off. Okay. <laughs> and hey, maybe a ride on the yacht once a year. Uh, or, or not, I don't need a yacht ride, you know, just, you know, anyway, tell your friends about it. So, <laughs> so obviously that's gone. Uh, the idea that you can stay stable at a job no longer exists. Betrayal. Uh, people's retirements, uh, you know, their 401ks vanished overnight in 2008. If they'd had enough money intelligence to not withdraw at the time, they would have been more than fine, but most don't. That's why they're middle class. And uh, so people's life savings were decimated. A lot of the rage that we're almost all of the rage we're currently seeing in the American political climate is because of the betrayal of the middle class. This also extends to education. So obviously we have all been exposed to the, ah, uh, the evil SJWs have ruined academia, right? Well, what's that, that argument, it really has an important core, which is that people are not, it's not the politics, it's that people are paying 40K a year, 40K a year to send their kid to a school that does not prepare them for disadvantages them from joining the middle class. All it does is saddle them with lifelong debt and a, a education of how to problematize 19th century texts or some horse shit like that, you know? And it's, it's like, it's, it's meaningless. So uh, the middle class has been betrayed. And, you know, my, my line on this is, how dare you? How dare you fuck with us? Us, the American middle class. <laughs> and here at our most sacred sanctuary, the Olive Garden, 
And you think I'm joking. So <laughs> it's tragic. It casts a shadow over my life. You know, certainly I, if you're a millennial, you're, you're if you're a millennial, and I promise this is not a rant, because actually what I'm talking about here is not the tangent. It is the core of what we're doing here, since everyone says they're in America. And I have a broadly, I broadly have a very clear sense of who almost all of you are. Even if I haven't met you, it's I, I generally have I have a good idea of who you probably are just based on I know who my students are. So we're getting down to the core. This is not just a, not you know I could talk Kabbalah, but this is what really matters, right? The middle class is the bulwark has been the bulwark against fascism, and not just fascism, but any totalitarianism, left or right. It's the bulwark against things falling apart. And if America falls, then as it very likely will, then we're in a, we're in for a very very hairy situation. So you are all here for one reason or another. But I suggest to you that if you are not consciously aware of this, you should be aware of this, is that magic is a survival skill, right? At the end of the day, yes, we can talk about counting the nose hairs of God all we like, right? But at the end of the day, when your back is to the wall, magic is a survival skill, and it has been for all of human history, right? So what are we doing here? We are readying survival skills because, you know, even to talk about it, you'll notice it at, at the beginning of Chad and I's conversation, we casually dismiss the idea that magic money may not dismiss, but we casually assume that money magic is a thing that works. So just think about that for a second. You're largely all in a situation where like, oh yeah, I could manifest money. Well, think about that for a second, right? right? I mean, like imagine like that, that's a fucking step, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. Oh, I could magically manifest money, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. <laughs> help me, oh wizard. Dude, you can magically manifest money. Like what, what do you need my help for? <laughs> You know, so, so like, right. So all I'm kind of doing now, I can rant at you about the class structure in America and it will be very helpful. I promise. But, but, uh, you know, let's just not take that for granted. Magic is a survival skill. Okay. So we don't need to dwell on that too long, but so, so the assumption of the middle class is that if you, the harder you work and the smarter you work, the more money you make. And that largely has to do with not rocking the boat and following the rules. Who makes the rules? Anyone? Don't we make the rules? We're supposed to make the rules. I'm not talking about magicians. I'm talking about okay. normal people. <laughs> yes, you're correct, but we're normal people, right? <laughs> Who makes the rules that the middle class follows? You know, if the middle class is defined by if how well they do in their mind, their entire life from cradle to grave is defined by how well they follow the rules from the day they start toilet training to the day they graduate high school to the day they are angling for, for uh, their year of retirement. Who sets the rules that they struggle to follow, right? And that religions enforce, right? It's like Christianity is a religion of following the rules, right? But let's not get on a tangent, right? It's like, who sets the rules, uh, right? Is it the, well, let me just say this. Is it the middle class? No. <laughs> no, because if they were setting the rules, they wouldn't make it such a fucked up game, right? They would make it a lot easier on themselves. Okay, yeah. so Howard Zinn, some of you may know Howard Zinn, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the history writer. I believe he's dead now. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I got to see him speak before he passed, which was good. He wrote a book called The People's History of the United States. Howard Zinn talks about when he was a kid, they told him he grew up in the Depression. And he said, you know, it's like when, when I was growing up, they told me the harder you work, the more money you make. Well, I looked at my father and my father worked, broke his back every day of his life, sleeping four hours a night doing manual labor. His whole body was a callus, sweeping floors, doing lifting, you know, steel girders, like, you know, manual labor his whole life. And he had nothing to show for it. So how much harder do you have to work? Right. Right. So, and that's always been true. 
now you now you can't even get those jobs, right? All right. <laughs> so I've applied to sweep floors and been turned down for it, right? I mean, that's that's America post two thousand eight. Wow. So okay, so the middle class is defined by the more you harder you work within these rules that are set, the better you do. Don't rock the boat. And we understand that that has been betrayed, and that breaks my heart because those are people who followed they did everything right they didn't go out of this society set them a track they didn't go outside of the bounds they worked as accountants they worked as lawyers they worked as real estate agents and they saved and they saved up for their kids braces and to send their kids to college and they did everything right and they played everything by the book and they went to the soccer practices and they did they followed the law and they did everything scrupulously and they were betrayed society failed them, right? Society failed the poor much earlier, but now it's been, now it's failed the middle class as well because we just don't care about it. And it breaks my heart. And so what is the upper class? So how does the upper class define its relationship with money, right? It's very simple. The upper class sees money like this. Money is produced by money. All right. The upper class, the, the, the line that divides the middle class from the upper class is the Middle class believes the lie of trading time for money, work for money, labor for money, and therefore they are kept as slaves, potentially white collar slaves, but collared nonetheless. The middle, the upper class understands that money produces money. So what do I mean by that? The upper class does things like invests in index funds. They, they understand that the things that instead of purchasing disposable goods, they do things like buy real estate and invest in the market and start companies and buy companies, right? They use their money to purchase things that generate money. It's that simple. And so the upper class lives in a world in which money is generated for them by their investments rather than their work. Now, granted, one starting capital certainly affects that, but this is accessible to, certainly, certainly accessible with willpower to the middle class. It's just a question of stopping. It's just a question of changing one's orientation towards money. Financial freedom. Now, everyone has a different idea of rich, right? Some people's idea of rich is making it through the week. Some people's idea of the rich is I don't have to worry about money. Some people's idea of rich is a million or a billion or, you know, some people's idea of rich is I need to have a private rocket to Mars and, and to have, you know, like immortality, I need to shoot up the blood of adolescence like Peter Thiel, so I live forever, right? If anyone knows about that, that's a real thing. So, really, yeah, Peter Thiel, one of the founders of PayPal, the super right wing right. guy, uh, inject has uh, gets blood transfusions from teenage boys. Oh, shit. they did that on uh, Silicon Valley, that show, like a it's a real thing. That's saying, oh my god, it's a real thing. That's when you know you're rich. Yeah, it's right. like Robin Williams used to have the joke. It's like cocaine is God's way of letting you know you have too much money. And, you know, now <laughs> injecting teenage boys' blood is God's way of letting you know you should probably go back to your cocaine habit. <laughs> Jesus. Can Insane. You... All right. So, okay. So just to recap, and I'll get out of ranting. Poor poverty is defined by seeing money as generated randomly or as a consequence of luck. Being middle class is defined by trading time for money in whatever way. Being upper class is defined by using your money in such a way that it makes money for you. It's generated as numbers on a screen without you having to do anything while you sleep. That's what being rich is. Now, 
final point, and this goes directly to your question, what is financial freedom, right? A financial freedom means you don't have to worry about money. Right. Now, to take this all the way back to the beginning, I said that that number is totally flexible based on what your overhead is. So if you need to pay upkeep on your yacht to make sure it doesn't rust while it's sitting in your other yacht, your overhead is going to be very high. But if your overhead is simply affording your rent, food, and art supplies, it's not yacht money, right? Okay. It's different. It's it's a different will. We all have different wills, right? We all, again, so we all have true wills. We have different orbits in life. So we need to get out of the American idea. I, I propose the American idea that the richer you are, the better you are is nonsense. We all understand that intellectually, but we also we don't really understand it emotionally because it's so loaded for all of us, for everyone. Right. Particularly for Americans, for the reasons I said at the beginning. It's like we have yep. such a sense of self-worth tied up with money. Yeah. You know, it's a big it's it's yeah, it's for everyone, right? So yep. but I would say that as magicians, I propose, although it's obviously everyone has their own opinion on this, I propose that one's the goal here is to fulfill your true will. Right. So right. that may be different for everyone. Somebody's true will may be to be an investment banker. Somebody's true will may be to be, you know, I know magicians who I know I, in my life, I have associated with street magicians who cannot afford a needle with which to inject heroin. And I have associated with magicians who, you know, work for the SNP, you know, Standard and Poor's or are currently inventing new uh, financial exchanges to, with which to trade crypto on. Right. After working as quantitative finance people for decades. Right. Right. And it's like people aren't that different. You know, it's like <laughs> they all say they all have a sense of lack and not having enough. Mm, it's hilarious. Right, right. 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 Here's the kicker. What is financial freedom? Financial freedom is simply I will define as your investments generating more wealth than you need to live on a monthly basis. So you could live in a cardboard box and be financially free if that's how you want to live. Right. That's financial freedom, right? That is attainable as long as the overhead is low for most people. Mm -hmm. It's easier than you might think once you map out the numbers. And this is something that I would like for everyone. And this is something that, it, you know, it's, it's way outside of the, the scope of this call, unfortunately, but this is something that I will you know, is probably going to be the goal of this money course coming up, right? It's certainly going to be one of the goals and using magic to do that. That's financial intelligence. Financial intelligence is getting to a point where you no longer have to sell your time, right. particularly as you get older, for money, right? Because time is limited and we're not getting younger. Yeah. So now, why is this important? A, this for me is important as a magical goal because it fulfills the first two rungs of yoga, yama and niyama. It stabilizes your life and therefore allows you a stable platform from which to practice magic, mysticism, art, or whatever your disciplines happen to be. It also allows you to achieve your true will without, if your mind is clouded by money worry all day long, you are not going to be working on your true will. Exactly. <laughs> In the 90s, they used to talk about this very issue on the alt magic news group. I don't know if it, does anyone remember, was anyone... Has anyone been around long enough in the magic scene to remember alt magic? Anybody? Wow. Wow. I feel very crusty now. Please. <laughs> alt magic was the news group. In the, does anyone remember news groups? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Thankfully so. Anyone besides Chet remember news groups? They still <laughs> exist, by the way. Okay. One person. Okay, cool. All right. I'm not that old. Okay, good. Jesus. Okay. So alt magic was the primary magic news group. 
And who was on it? Cat Ironwood was on it. Joel Barocco was on it. I think Isaac Bonewitz was on it. It's like 20 people or something. But like, it's the same as now. We're just like, it was people would just like flame each other all day long on it. <laughs> it was like the, the archetypal, like the biggest flame fest of all time. It was amazing. Uh, and it's, nothing ever changes in the magic community. <laughs> and there was lots of hilarious posts. But we there. There was one thing that emerged from the alt magic, where people came up with the concept of crisis magicians, right? Where if you're a crisis magicians magician, it means that you are constantly doing magic to get out of crises financially. Right. Usually, you're saying, you know, I, I was a crisis magician for all of my twenties. I didn't stabilize until my early thirties, and it took a serious effort. You know, it was one crisis to the next. You yeah. know, losing all my lost all my possessions twice. I got thrown out of country. Well, one country at least. You know, it's a nonstop crisis and um, constant magical warfare. So stabilizing is a worthy goal because it fulfills the first two rungs of yoga from which you have a platform to practice yoga and magic through which you may tr fulfill your true will. That's exactly how I feel. That's my problem. It's like, I don't have well, a- Is it a I... problem or is it, it, you know, knowing is half the battle. And I would submit that this is true for everyone on the call, including me, right? I mean, if anyone does not feel that way, please let me know. Yeah. So it's so so step one is we need to completely ditch this idea of like, oh, like magicians are above money. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Uh, you know who said that? You know who said that? Alistair Crowley. You know how what well, Alistair Crowley was the heir to the a brewing fortune. His father died when he was seven years old and left him all the money from an entire beer. It's like Heineken or so it's like, you know, you're the heir to the Heineken family and you get all that money in a trust fund and you blow through it by your early 30s trying to beat mountain climbing records learn the kabbalah and and doing heroin <laughs> and then he spent and so he said that i was like oh like a magician should be above money and a gentleman <laughs> of the world it's like okay well that's nice to say if you're a trust fund kid of the upper middle class in england in 1904 right but you know but then how do you, the rest he spent the second half of his life you know in the gutter like stealing from his students uh, scrounging off of students because he never developed the skills to build to get money. Right. He never worked a day in his life. That's not healthy. John Balance is another example of that. A lot of people probably remember John Balance from Coil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John Balance never worked a day in his life. I knew friends of his, right? John, just genius, right? John Balance met, met, met Sleazy when he was 18 and basically was a kept man for his entire life. His, his, his boyfriend was you know, constantly getting work doing Nine Inch Nails videos and like, you know, all this, you know, doing music industry work all this all day long and basically bringing home the bacon while John Ballas never left the house and was just sitting around drinking all day long, wow. doing ketamine and playing with synthesizers and looking at Austin spare paintings. <laughs> and he never, like, that's what he did. And he never, and they made great music, but he, he died in his forties. He never developed, wow. he could, never worked a day in his life. And it's not, it's not healthy. No. People make, so, all right. I'm going to cut myself off here. So <laughs> long story short, what I've <laughs> attempted to do here in my usual rambling grandpa fashion is to outline a series is one to depict the current economic climate to the, I've gone from macro to mi micro, right? I've, I've started with at least the macroeconomic climate in America. We haven't even gone to the whole world. That's a different issue. We've shrunk down to, I've outlined a series of board games one can play, right? That are largely defined by one's attitudes towards money. Those are classes in America, which we're not, are not even supposed to exist. 
And then finally, I've defined the game in winnable terms, regardless of one's class. Now, and finally, the final point is that if you are an artist or a magician, you largely are outside of, you are not outside of class economically, but you are slippery, <laughs> right? It's like you're kind of, you're not defined by any of them for better or worse. And I mean, I mean you know, there are, there are Damien Hirsts in the world, right? It's like, yeah, you know, there's it's the 1% of the artists though. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, and you know, very well, it's like the art world is a commodity trading industry, like anything else, you know, in right. New York and all of that. But so there's, cl- there's classes even within the art world, but art, but artists and magicians are able to art magicians. Here's my, my definition of a magician is somebody who is able to redefine games at will, at least for themselves. And you said it yourself. It's like, who makes the rules? Well, we do. Yes, you know, we do, but you know, that's because we're, we're special. So <laughs> That's what. So, if you're a magician, when it comes down to it, you you have the ability to redefine, redraw the rules. And so, finally, I have defined the rules in a way that is winnable, which is financial freedom, is that your investments. And by the way, investment. Here are the four quadrants of investments. This comes from Robert Kiyosaki, who stole it from another guy. I do not. I'm not stealing because I'm citing it. But the four quadrants of investments are stocks and bonds. You know primarily index funds. And we'll talk about that in the money course, real estate, wait, stocks. Yeah. Okay. Stocks and bonds, meaning market investments, real estate, businesses that you own, not that you work in. And finally, intellectual property. Hmm. So for instance, if you're an artist and you create a comic book character that you own the rights to, right. Or a logo or something that you're getting royalties on, you know, Stephen Cho. Mm-mm. I think that's his name. Stephen Cho, I believe that's his name, is a famous LA graffiti artist. Oh, David Cho. Oh, David Cho. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The thank guy you. Painted okay. Facebook and yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Cho, get this, everyone. Now here's Insane. here's here's something to magic up, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Right? Like this is so this is this is an example of how think think about this in terms of think about this in terms of magic breaking the rules of reality because this is a I don't know if magic was involved in this I assume it wasn't but this is he an example seem like the type. <laughs> okay probably not he seems yeah. extremely extremely materialistic to say the least totally <laughs> but you know think about this in terms of breaking the, the these are the types of of magical sorceric breaking of rea- the rules of reality that one might angle for in today's day and age rather than casting fireballs. You know, consider everyone wants to throw fireballs. Okay, we'll consider doing this instead. David Cho, I think knew what he knew Mark Zuckerberg from Harvard or something like that, or they knew yeah, each other somehow. I'm not sure how the connection was made. When Facebook, I, I don't know either, but when Facebook opened their first office, uh, Zuckerberg or somebody else, Sean Parker, maybe he knew Sean Parker or somebody like that, mm-hmm. invited him to come like do a mural on the walls, like just to, to do like the, the office mural, the new Facebook office. It's like, so it's like our cool startup, you know? <laughs> and uh, so he did. It's like, and he was like, well, this is my fee. He's like, uh, Oh, sorry, dude, we can't pay you. But, uh, cause we don't have any money cause we're just a startup, but will you take 1% of Facebook stock? <laughs> he was like, God damn it. You guys, what the fuck? <laughs> So he walked away with 1% of Facebook stock and never thought about it again. David Cho never has to work another day in his life. No. He spends every day of his life getting a prostitutes at massage parlors. And gambling. Really? Yeah. You know, hey, before, he you got go, that, right? before he got that money, he said, at least on the Howard Stern show one time, he said that before he made the Facebook money, he had won a million dollars in Vegas because he's like, 
a gambler. So this, this here we go. Like, what is so? What is the attitude of the poor towards money? Right. <laughs> exactly. Now it doesn't say that you lose everything. You could win, right? But those, right. that's a rarity, right? But then, but you know, we always hear there was a news story a week ago, and I'm gonna just say you're. I'm gonna have to cut this off because other people are waiting. Yeah, Jesus I know. <laughs> I, I, I just I had like two, I had two Monster Energy drinks today. <laughs> this is me at the in the evening. Not a, you normally see me in the morning. This is after I've gotten going. So there was a news story a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, there was a family, uh, somebody won the lotto and got something like $30 million. And uh, it was all gone in a year. And then him and his oh girlfriend were arrested doing home invasions, robbing people from work. Wow. Right. Crazy. So it just goes, and we know this is from looking at the lives of people who win the lotto. It's like, you can get a million dollars, but if your mentality doesn't change, you're right back to great. Right. Nothing changes. Right. Anyways. So more will be revealed in the course, but my that's my broad point it's like what game are you playing have you defined the game as winnable i hope that's helpful and <laughs> not just off the fucking deep end <laughs> yeah i just by uh, the way i need to <laughs> i am not a registered investment advi advisor so talk to a registered financial advisor for god's sake well just what re really quick though i mean okay i understand changing your mindset but what's the verbiage you use to get financial stability okay your mindset's changed i want to use is it like about using magic to change your mindset? Well, how would you, if you were going to put it into a statement of intent, what would it be? Not just that I, I've, I'm fi financially stable, basically, or, or that's the magic, you know? Because I don't know anything about this shit. About what? Money stuff, really. Yeah. I mean, I, sh I suppose I should learn, but, you know, I have my well, own business and all that, and, I, and, I, and I've okay. learned a lot, but, you know. Well, by the way, can you do magic? For something that you don't, and actually, you know, is this one of the primary uses of magic? Can you do magic for something you don't know how how it's going to happen? Yeah, can't you? Of course, can't, right? That's yeah, kind of the right? whole point. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You let the how happen on its own. Exactly. And that's kind of where magic is. It's like you say, the, you know, it's like where there's a will, there's a way. Like, okay, thank you. But <laughs> it's true. It's like, you know, you can do, this is how magic works. You do ritual work to manifest a result. And then the result comes to you usually at an unexpected time and through an unexpected way. And so right. the art and the real art of magic is both asking for the right thing and then being having the presence of mind to acknowledge it when it shows up and not missing your chance. Mm. Right. So when the bus shows up, get on. Right. I'm very guilty of doing many times in my life summoning the bus and then not getting on. But <laughs> That's kind of the whole point. It's like, you don't need to know how it's going to happen. And it's like, so, but you know, of course the money course will explain everything in detail. So there's your result right there. But okay. also, <laughs> um, uh, I also, some people may or may not remember. I also already have a whole course in cryptocurrency, which is bitcoininsider.io. If you want to dive into the crypto universe, if you want a little preview of financial sorcery, that's a good place to go. And yeah, Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich. Good book. Yep. <laughs> Good book. Donald Underrated. Trump's right. <laughs> well, it was working for him, right? I mean, yeah, there was, was a good... Born into it. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, but I mean, you know, here's the hilarious thing about Donald Trump. Final point. Does anyone on this call know, and this is a, this is, does anyone know what index funds are on this call? Not really. Okay, here's your first tip, right? So when you think of the stock market, people usually think, oh, I need to pick the right stock and it's all a gamble. Again, thinking in terms of chance. Uh, an index fund is a fund that owns a small amount of every stock on the entire market. Hmm. 
So you invest only in the entire market and it balances out and generally it only goes up with smaller fluctuations. And there are very low expense ratios on them, particularly if you go to a place called Vanguard, which was set up to give to beat the mutual fund industry and give people index funds at very low rates. Hmm. Again, speak to your investment advisor. <laughs> but um, uh, Donald Trump uh, was given a million dollars by his father. Uh, Donald Trump has made and lost billions in his life. If Donald Trump, and he offers this as, as proof of his business acumen, if Donald Trump had taken the same money and simply put it into an index fund, and went golfing for the rest of his life, he would be richer than he would be richer than he is now. Classic. This is the power of financial intelligence. Anyways, hopefully this is somewhat helpful. All yes. right. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. It's a great conversation with Chet Zar. You can Google him to find out more about him and his art, Chet Zar, Z-A-R, and check out magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And for all of our courses, lots more coming and tell your friends. All right, everyone, hang in there. Talk to you soon. Lots of love.